You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Ever since I graduated high school, I've worked a lot of odd jobs. I've done concrete, I've worked in internet marketing, worked at a boarding school, all sorts of crazy different stuff. To be honest, I've always kind of liked starting new jobs. You get to meet new people, you get new skills. I've always enjoyed it. But what I don't like so much about a new job is that first week of job training. In my experience, it's one of two things. Either they pile on way too much information in too short a time, or on the other hand, they give you no information and they rush you out in the job too quick. But there was a job that I had that I remember, the training was actually pretty adequate. See, in my mid-20s, I worked at a bakery, and at the time, I got promoted from donut fryer to baker. I know this sounds familiar, I've shared this before, but in this week of, of training, I was stepping up to a huge task. You see, this was a small family business that had a lot of production, which meant there was a lot of things to be made and not enough people to do it. And during the night, I was going to be the only one in the bakery. So there's nobody else to fall back on. It was a challenging week. And it was being piled on a whole bunch of new information that I never had before, mountains of info. And plus, I was switching from a day shift to a night shift. And meanwhile, while I was trying to switch my schedule over, the apartment above me, they were working on the flooring. So all that week, I had these crazy dreams of ninjas trying to break in through the floors and having to fight them off with loaves of bread. Usually woke up before the battle finished, but I assume I won. But all in all, by the time training was done, I felt prepared for the job. It was hard. It was challenging. But in the end, I felt like I was prepared to take over the bakery. You know, oftentimes God will lead us through seasons of our life that are challenging, difficult. But the whole idea is that we be prepared for something else. That God make us into a new likeness, transform us from what we were to what we're supposed to be. And that's what we're seeing this morning as we hop into the book of Genesis and we examine the story of Jacob. Now, when we last left Jacob, we found him on a journey from Mersheba to the land of Haran. Now, Jacob left on this 21-day journey to find a wife amongst his uncle's family. And during that journey, we found out that God met Jacob in a dream. And in this dream, God blessed Jacob with the blessing of Abraham. He came down and made a covenant with him and told him, I will be your God. I will make all nations of the earth blessed through you, and I will bring you back to the land of Canaan. I will be with you. Now, in that blessing, God called Jacob to be something new. And as this morning, as we continue in Jacob's story, we will see how God begins to work on Jacob's lives to turn him in from a sinful man to the patriarch that God was creating him to be. As we examine this text this morning, we will see how God's blessing works in our lives to shape us, to change us, and to make us into something new. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Genesis chapter 29. 
And we will be in verses 1 to 30 this morning. And the first point we'll be looking at this morning is point number one, God will bless your journey with success. Follow with me in verses 1 to 3. It says, Then Jacob went on his, on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in a field. And behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of the well the flocks were watered. The stone of the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the sheep would roll away the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and then put it back in its place over the mouth of the well. Now as we open up our text, we find Jacob in some undesignated location at a well. And at this point in the text, Jacob has been traveling for several weeks. And you'll remember that he started on this journey to begin with because he had cheated and lied to his older brother. And his older brother was so furious with him that he made a plan to kill Jacob. So Jacob had to flee immediately in the night. And as Jacob was going to the land of Haran, he went there with the intentions of finding a wife from the family of his mother's brother. Now, if that kind of sounds familiar, a man coming to a well looking for a wife, it's because we've seen a similar story already in the book of Genesis, back in chapter 24. You see, you remember back in chapter 24 that Abraham sent his servant to find a, a wife in the same area for his son Isaac. Abraham promised the servant that God would be with him and would bl bless him on his journey. And throughout that story, we see the servant respond in great faithfulness. He trusted God and he leaned into God's promises. Now, the reason that these stories sound so similar is because they're parallels. As we're reading through this story, we're supposed to have Genesis 24 in mind. And we're supposed to ask the question, will Jacob respond with the same faithfulness that Abraham's servant did? But before we answer that question, we first move in and dive into the text and see how God's providential hand is prospering Jacob's journey. Follow with me in verses 4 to 8. It says, Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? And they said, We are from Haran. And Jacob said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said, Is it well with him? And they said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Jacob said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water your sheep. Go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water our sheep. We see here in 4 to 8 that as Jacob interacts with these shepherds, he learns that he has successfully arrived in Haran. And on top of that, not only has he arrived at the place he intended, now he sees the daughter of the man he was looking for, the daughter of Laban. Certainly God is working in this situation to place Jacob exactly where he needs to be at the exact right time. You see, if Jacob had been looking for a shepherdess like Rachel, now was not the time. Notice how it says in the text that he arrived at high day. That meant that was the time of day when the sun was blaring down and it was full heat. This was not a time that shepherds typically gathered at the well. But we see here in the text that God is moving and working to set up this chance encounter to bring Jacob and Rachel together. 
Now, we see here in verse 8 the reason that the shepherds have not gone out to pasture is because there's a large stone over the face of the well. Now, basically in their culture, these stones had two purposes. Number one, this stone was meant to keep out unwanted debris from falling in and contaminating the water. But this stone that was extremely heavy also had another purpose. It was meant to keep out people from taking more water than their fair share. You see, the stone was extremely heavy, and it was meant to be moved by two or three people. That meant that no individual could come in and take more than their fair share of water. But there's also a third reason that we see this stone here in the text, for us as an audience and for Jacob. You see, last week in chapter 28, we learned that Jacob had a dream. And in this dream, God promised to be with Jacob and to take care of him. Now, after Jacob woke up from this dream, he set up a big stone pillar to the Lord. And the whole purpose of this pillar was to remind him and point to God's promises. So when we're seeing the stone here in our text repeated over and over and over again, six times if you skim through, it's meant to point us backwards to God's promises. It's meant to remind Jacob that God is with him and taking care of him. And the question is, will Jacob respond with faithfulness? And we see his reaction here in verses 10 to 14. It says, Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the mouse well, and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's kinsman, and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embrace him and kiss him and brought him to his home. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Now, we read here that as Rachel came near, Jacob summoned some inner strength and rolled this massive stone away. And that's a pretty big deal, because as we remember, this stone was meant to be moved by two or three people. And this isn't the manly Esau, Jacob's older brother. This is the indoor Jacob who doesn't like the outside. Jacob is summoning a feat of strength to try to impress Rachel. Now, that's important because at this point in chapter 24, when Abraham's servant came to the well looking for a wife, we see him bowing down and praying, worshiping the Lord, and leaning in on God's providence and trusting him. He even devised a test to see if if Isaac's future wife would show him hospitality to to test his character. But Jacob here does the exact opposite. Rather than trusting the Lord, he charges in in his own strength. Rather than seeing God's hand of providence, he trusts in himself rather than the God who is providing for him. You see, as we compare these two stories, Jacob and Abraham's servant, we're being given clear evidence that Jacob isn't fully committed to trusting in God. Though he's decided that he's going to follow God and that this God is going to be his God, 
He's not trusting in him in this circumstance. But even though Jacob isn't acting in faith, God is still blessing him. God is still making Jacob successful. You see, what we need to understand as we look at Jacob's actions and God's prosperity in the text is that blessings don't depend on our faithfulness. You see, God is not some karma genie in the sky who just blesses us when we do good things. That's the way the world sees a blessing. You see, God comes into our lives to bless us and to take care of us so that his will will be done. God is moving for his purpose. And God's purpose in this text is to have Jacob meet Rachel at this well. God is prospering his journey because this is what God desires for Jacob's life. And so for us, as we examine how God is working in this situation, we need to redefine how we measure success. And that's our first application this morning. Redefine how you measure success. See, biblical success has nothing to do with what we have or what we achieve. Biblical success is not about promotions or how much money we have in the bank account or what our actions produce. It's not even about how great our ministries are. Biblical success is all about faithfulness. Biblical success is about leaning in and trusting the Lord and grabbing hold of the God who is taking care of us. And the danger we can run into, the trap that the enemy wants to ensnare us in, is thinking that when good things happen in our lives, it means that we are being faithful people. And the danger that we can fall into is thinking that the result of our life has proven God's, God's uh, commitment to us when we may not even actually know God. That's what Jesus warns in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many great works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart worker of law. You see, what Jesus is pointing out here in Matthew is that success can only be measured by our faithfulness to God's word. You see, when we are focused on faithfulness and following God no matter what the circumstances, it doesn't matter if we're successful in this world. It doesn't matter if we have prosperity or wealth or if we are broken and destitute. When we measure our lives by faithfulness, we can fully trust God's word and understand that God's blessing doesn't come into our lives to make us comfortable in this world, but to get us to our heavenly home. And there are times that God will lead us through brokenness and despair and frustrating times, and we have to have the right metric and understanding of what it means to be blessed. That brings us to our second point this morning. God will bless your journey with hardship. Read what it says here in verse 15. It says, Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wage be? Now, at this point in the text, Jacob's been living with Laban for about a month, as we learned in verse 14. 
And while hospitality was a big deal in the ancient world, it had its limits. You see, it was expected when you had a guest at your home to allow them to stay for three days rent-free. But after that point, they were expected to earn their own keep. So at some point over this month, Jacob would have started working for Laban. And then it became time to negotiate the wages. And as we read on, we learn that Jacob knows exactly what he wants to work for. As we see here in 18 to 20, it says, Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served him seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to be to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Now we see here that all along Jacob's eye has been on Rachel. He loved her. He was willing to work seven whole years in order to marry her. We should understand that this is an exorbitant bridal price. Even working a year would have been a little excessive. But for Jacob, it felt but a few days because of the deep love he had for her. And on top of that, Laban agrees to the deal. At this point in the text, it feels like a beautiful love story. Everything is going Jacob's way. Everything is working out exactly as he desires. At least he thinks. You see, what we learn in verse 17 is that Laban has another daughter named Leah, an older daughter. And the text says that her eyes were weak. Now, we don't exactly know what that means. It could mean they were pale, maybe that they were blue, which I take offense to. (laughs) But the point is that Jacob didn't love Leah. He loved Rachel. And that's not the woman he negotiated for. That was not the deal they struck up in the text. But as we see, Laban, though he is kin to Jacob, is going to take advantage of the situation. As we see here during the wedding ceremony in verse 23 to 26. It says, But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Now, clearly this is a strange encounter. We have to ask the question, how the heck did Jacob not know he married the wrong daughter? (laughs) But there's an answer to that question. You see, in their culture, it was common for the bride to be veiled during the wedding ceremony. And the only time she would take off that veil was at nighttime when they would go into the tent to consummate the marriage. What that meant is, by the time that Jacob found out who he had married, it was already too late. He had officially married Leah, even though that's not the woman he had negotiated for. And as we move forward, we see that Jacob will have to work another seven years, 14 years total of servitude, in order to marry Rachel the woman that he loved, the woman that he was willing to work already a high price for, he now has to work another 14 years. Now, there's two side notes I want to mention here before we move on. The first side note is for you young people here. 
And that side note is, don't date in a vacuum. And here's what I mean by that. We see in the text that Jacob has cut himself off from his family. He's gotten too close to his own situation, and now he's being taken advantage of because he has no wise voices to speak into his life. You see, for those of you who are pursuing a spouse or will be pursuing a spouse in the future, understand that God has placed people in your life for a reason. God has placed your parents and your pastors and your youth leaders and the wise elders in your church to speak into your life and advise you as you get ready to marry. God has given you these people for a reason, and you need to lean into their wisdom to help you work out these situations. But Jacob has done the exact opposite. Now, the second side note I want to mention here is that God cares for the vulnerable. Now, we notice in the text that there are four women, Rachel, Leah, Zilpah, and and Bilhah. And throughout the text, these women are completely being taken advantage of. These women are being passed around by Laban like commodities, sold off for his own benefit. And while it's painful to see in the text, their fate is their fate. But we're also going to see God working through their situations to bless them. God is going to take these women who are in a low circumstances, who are being abused by the, the men in their lives, and God is going to elevate them. God is going to bless them and make them and establish them into his kingdom. God is going to rise these women up from the bottom and bless them and include them even equal with Jacob's blessing. Because God cares for the vulnerable. God loves the weak, and God takes care of those who are broken. And while we'll have to hold out to see that, we will see God working in their lives in the text. But as we come back to this text here this morning, we have to understand that Jacob is in this situation because he put himself in this situation. You see, Jacob made sinful decisions that cut himself off from his family and made it so he had no other avenue other than to sell himself into servitude in order to marry these wives. You see, the reality is is that Jacob's father is a rich man. He could have easily played the, the bridal price for both of these women, no problem. But because Jacob has cheated his older brother, because he's cut himself off from his family, he's put himself in a situation where he's able to be taken advantage of. And as we look at what's going on here under the surface, we realize that God is bringing him into the situation for a reason. You see, in this text, Laban is deceiving Jacob by blinding him with a veil under the cover of darkness and switching out one sibling for another. You see, this sounds a lot like what happened a couple weeks ago in Genesis chapter 27. You see, in 27, Jacob tricked his blind father into blessing him instead of his brother. He disguised himself as Esau, switched himself out for his older brother in order to receive the blessing. You see, God is confronting Jacob with the same sort of deception that he played on his father and his brother. God is confronting Jacob with a sinful past. Notice how many times the word serve is used here in our text. Well, the first time we see that here in the book of Genesis is back in chapter 27. 
where Isaac says to Jacob, your brothers will serve you. You see, Isaac's prophecy over Jacob's life is that one day he would be the patriarch who others would bow down to and serve. But here in the text, we are seeing him bow down to another patriarch, to Laban. And he's having to serve him because of deception and because of his, his swindling and sinfulness. Jacob has put himself into a situation, but God is blessing him by fully correcting his actions and confronting him with his behaviors. You see, down the line when God leads Jacob out of the land of Laban and back to the promised land, God intends Jacob to be changed and transformed. God does not intend Jacob to go back as the same sort of deceitful sinner he was when he left. God is using these circumstances to confront him and shape him into something new because God is blessing him through his circumstances. What we need to understand is that God will often use hardship to shape our God will lead us into brokenness and despair in times that feel crushing in order to change us and to shape us into something new. And we might not always be confronted by, because of, of sins we committed in our, in our past. We will be confronted by the sinfulness of our broken world. We don't get to choose what, what discipline we find ourselves wandering into. But we have to understand that the discipline that God gives us is for our own good. God is disciplining you to shape you. And knowing that God is using our circumstances to bring out something new should bring joy to our lives. Knowing that the despair and brokenness we face now is meant to bring out something better. And that brings us to our second application here this morning. Find joy in God's discipline. See, God doesn't give us hardship to punish us or to make us suffer for our actions. God is is not some evil father who wants to break us and hurt us. And once again, God is not some karma genie in the sky who gives us bad situations when we do bad things. See, the book of Hebrews describes God as a loving father. A father who is willing to correct and rebuke his children in order to send them in the right direction. And while discipline can be hard and even devastating sometimes in our lives, it is always meant to produce something better. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 11. He says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, God will often bring us face to face with our brokenness. He will make us confront unrepented sins for our our path, and He will walk us down paths that feel like we are being broken. But ultimately, it is meant to produce fruit in our lives. You see, for Jacob... He was called by God to be the father of a great nation. A nation that would bless all the other nations of the earth. A nation that would lead all other peoples into righteousness and that would pass down to the person of Jesus Christ. And Jacob wasn't meant to be like all the other fathers of the earth. He was meant to be different. 
was shaping him and conforming him. The same way that he would shape his nation. Generations escape from the nation of Egypt. See, God Israel through the wilderness for 40 years in order to change their hearts and set their eyes fully on him. They would walk through harsh discipline. There'd be times they would be desperate for food and water, but ultimately God would successfully bring them to the promised land. Because God's desire for our life is not to be comfortable here on earth. God's desire for our life is to be safely home at heaven. And in order for that to happen, we need to have a new likeness. And that's the point of our sermon here this morning. God's blessing is meant to change us into a new likeness. You see, years ago when I got the promotion at the bakery, I had all the benefits of being a baker. I had a a new title, new responsibility, and a new pay level to boot. But there wasn't one second that I deceived myself into thinking just because I had that title, I was prepared and ready to bake. And the same thing happens in the Christian life. See, if you have your faith in Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of God, you are completely redeemed by Jesus. His blood has completely saved you from the guilt and condemnation for your sin. But let's not be deceived into thinking that we perfectly reflect the image of Christ. So, see, while we are, are, are called God's holy children, God is using the circumstances of our life to shape us and make us more like Jesus. God is leading us through through successful paths to lead us to points when we will be confronted by our sins to be changed and transformed so that one day we can confidently and willingly walk into the kingdom of heaven. And while discipline at times seems hard and painful, while we always want to have success in our lives, the only true success we should be looking for is the day when we stand before our heavenly Father. You see, when we have the right understanding of the purpose of the Christian life, when we have the understanding that we are going to walk in difficult and hard times, when we are going to walk through times when life does not feel successful, but when we understand that God is bringing us to a different reality, we can have joy and confidence in every situation we face. We don't have to be afraid that we will be condemned. We don't have to be afraid that our, that our actions will lead to condemnation because we are redeemed in Jesus. And because Jesus died on the cross for you, we can be confident that his work will have a success in your life. And for those of you this morning who are here and are not followers of Jesus Christ, I have to warn you that the Christian life is not always easy. God will lead you through difficult times. God will lead you through hardship, and he will not always give you the things that you desire. But if you follow Jesus, there is a guarantee that one day you will live forever in the joy and the peace and the love of Jesus. We have that guarantee this morning. 
And we have that hope that nothing that this world throws at, at us will ever bring us to condemnation. And now as we, we prepare to continue in a time of worship, I urge you to set your eyes fully on Jesus. Set your heart longing for your heavenly kingdom in the day when there will be no more brokenness, no more despair, no more sorrow, and we can fully live in the joy of Jesus Christ. Set your eyes on that day and have hope because it is coming. Pray with me. Lord, I'm so grateful for Jesus. Without Jesus, we are condemned in our sinfulness. Without Jesus, we are completely lost and without hope. But with Jesus, we have a hope that will never die, a hope that will never end, because Jesus' blood will have a success in our lives. Lord, we worship you and we praise you for the grace and the love that we have in Jesus. And it says, in his holy name we pray, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.